You're listening to Sermon Audio from Waynesboro Grace. Our mission is to glorify God by making disciples making disciples. For more information about our church, you can find us online at waynesborograce.org or on Facebook at Waynesboro Grace. Hey Grace, good morning. It's good to be with you again and continue thinking about the different roots that we should be planting and the different roots that we should be thinking about plucking and what it is that we're trying to do over these next several weeks and a few months actually in total together is uh, ask the question, what does it look like to be a disciple-making disciple? Our, our mission is to glorify God by being disciple-making disciples. Uh, the question then is, how do we do that? How do we follow Jesus well? How do we love others well? How do we do this thing called discipleship? It, it, it can be a bit overwhelming if we don't unpack it. And it can be a bit nebulous if we don't think through specifically what that looks like. And so where we began the last two weeks is this idea and focus of an eternal perspective, an eternal focus, you might say, that, that what, what we have here that we all think is roughly a guaranteed 80, 90, maybe 100 years that we know is not really guaranteed, but what we have here matters, but it doesn't matter exclusively. What matters far greater than what we do in the limited number of days we're given, is what happens come eternity. And our short life in comparison and set against the grand scale of eternity pales in comparison. And we serve a God who has always existed and who will always eternally exist. And one day, those who trust in Jesus Christ and have trusted in Jesus Christ for their salvation will live with that God, our God, for all eternity. And that matters more than anything. And that's why Jesus came. And John 3.16 tells us that for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal, everlasting Life And so where we think about and where we begin to think about what it looks like to follow Jesus begins with just the acknowledgement that our eternity matters. And without him, we will spend eternity without him. But these truths of roots, these truths of an eternal focus do not just apply or just matter after we die. We saw two weeks ago in thinking through this in the first week together that what we think about come eternity or the eternal focus that we should have matters today as we think through what it is that we're going to spend our money on. How we're going to spend and steward our money, our resources, our possessions. The question being, are we laying up today treasures for ourselves here on earth where they're going to be rotted away, they're going to get moth-eaten, they could potentially be taken from us in a moment's notice, or are we storing up treasures in heaven where none of those things can happen? We thought through as well that 
how you and I process pleasure and happiness in light of an eternal perspective matters. And it matters today, and it matters tomorrow, and it matters the day after that. Because those who walk as enemies of the cross, those who do not consider themselves as citizens of heaven, have a very different way of approaching and processing pleasure and happiness Last week, we tried to understand that having an eternal focus that that begins with faith in Christ leads us to speak about Christ no matter what the cost. Having an eternal focus that begins with faith in Christ leads us to resolve. And this isn't an American, pick yourself up by your bootstraps, you know, chin back or chin up, shoulders back, boy, type of idea. This is a divine faith-fueled, Holy Spirit-wrought strengthening that happens as we turn our eyes upon Jesus. That there's a resolve that even in the midst of the most difficult, we understand what matters most and we're able to process and navigate today because of and in light of eternity. And then last week we also thought through and looked at that an eternal focus that begins with faith in Christ leads us to long for eternity. And the more we think about, the more we turn our eyes upon Jesus, I think the greater longing that is developed and shaped and formed in us for him. And that's a work of himself as well through his spirit. And so as we began two weeks ago and finished up last week, having an eternal focus matters a great deal, not just for eternity, but for today. And this morning, we're going to unpack a little bit further these roots. And it's interesting in our text today, Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8, we're going to see that the, the lens changes ever so slightly as we think about roots. The word rooted is going to show up in our text together, but rather than you and I being commanded to plant roots, this text actually tells us that you and I are the ones planted. Rather than us being the ones planting the seed in soil or the roots in soil, we're the ones planted. We're the ones rooted. This is something that Jesus actually does to and in us. And so the picture that we'll consider together changes slightly. But it really is profound and it really is significant. And what we're going to see in our text is that what we believe affects how we act. And Paul's going to give a command for our actions to be a certain way. But then he's going to support that command by telling us that it begins with our beliefs. It begins with our understanding of truth. And it begins with an acknowledgement that we have to be on guard against error and falsehood. Because that, that the battle for our minds, the battle for what we understand truth to be, and the battle for truth in the scriptures is real. It's ever-present, and it's what we find ourselves in the midst of all the time. And so if we had to summarize today and put a couple words to it that maybe are helpful for us to just kind of capture it, think about it, here would be the two words to maybe help summarize that today 
what we're thinking about as we pursue being disciple-making disciples for the glory of God is that we are to walk in and we are to watch for. We are to walk in and we are to watch for. And before we go any farther, I'd love to pray with you. And then we'll hop into Colossians 2, verses 6 through 8 together and try to understand and make sense of what the Apostle Paul has to say. Would you join me? Father God, we are grateful for the opportunity to gather, grateful for the means by which we're able to do so and the, the, the brilliance that you gave whoever created YouTube and the internet and uploads and cameras and mic cords and all sorts of technology that we're using in this moment to understand more about who you are, understand more of what it looks like to follow you. And so, God, we pray that you would give us ears to hear, that you would give us eyes to see, that you would help us understand more of who you are, more of who we are, and that in doing so, we would be, be that much more passionate to follow you well, to make disciples. That as we consider today, ourselves as the ones rooted, that that picture of Christ's completed work in our lives would give us the, the strength and the encouragement and the foundation we need to follow him well. So God, we thank you for what he has done for us in the, the life he lived in our place that he gives to us, the death he died in our place that he exchanges with the one we owed. We thank you for the good news of the gospel. And we pray this all in the good name of Jesus. Amen. Well, if you've got your Bibles, grab them and turn to Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 to 8. That's where we're going to be together this morning and where we're going to just park and sit and try to understand what is happening. And so I want to read the text and then we're going to step through it and try to make sense of it here together. In verse 6, Paul writes, Therefore, as you received... Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ." Well, there in the beginning of verse 6, you see the word therefore, and anytime we see the word therefore, we got to stop and ask ourselves, what is it there for? And that's a helpful way for us to just remember that something came before this set of verses, and in particular, it's chapter 1 of Colossians, and chapter 2 of Colossians, at least through verse 5, they came before, and we're not going to step through those verses this morning, but what we have in those sections is Paul writing to a church that he knew, writing to a church that he prayed for, writing to a church that he deeply desired to further live out their faith in Christ. And he writes in particular in verse 5 of chapter 2 that though I am absent in the body, I'm with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order 
and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Now we know from reading the rest of the book that there was some, there, there was some danger there as well. I mean, in our verses here today, in verse 8, he's going to say, See to it, or watch out, be on the alert, that the danger was present. He's going to tell them in chapter 3, there's some things you need to do, and there's some things you need to not do. But he also acknowledges that there's a firmness to their faith in Christ. There's a good order And here, even against the backdrop of that, he encourages them to keep walking, keep following, keep pursuing. And so he writes in verse 6 of chapter 2, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord. That word received means to acquire information from someone. And the way Paul writes this, he's speaking of an action that happened in the past. And he's referencing their acknowledgement of and surrender to Christ Jesus as Lord. It wasn't just facts that the Corinthians found themselves in agreement with. It wasn't that Paul came and he had a, he had a brilliant way of eloquently laying out for them propositional truth claims that they understood intellectually to be true. There was an intellectual agreement. I'm sure there was the ability of the Apostle Paul to outline these propositional truth claims. And there was an acknowledgement of that. But more than that, there was a surrender to Jesus Christ as Lord. There was a surrender on the part of the Colossians, this church in Colossae, to Jesus as their Lord. And Paul's saying, look, as you received him, As you responded and surrendered to him as your Lord, so walk in him. And there's the first command in our text here this morning. It's to walk. If we were going to try to give some definition to the word walk, I would simply say this. It's actions that flow from faith. To walk in is actions that flow from faith. Faith. And this word walk is used all throughout the scriptures. And it's primarily used in the Gospels to just reference people walking. Like this guy walked from here to there. But it's used in the letters part of the New Testament to reference living out your faith. Walking in such a way that you, you demonstrate with your actions that you have received Christ Jesus as Lord. That you've responded and surrendered. To him as Lord. To walk in him is to have actions that flow from faith. And Paul commands them to do that. He says, look, you, you've responded to and you've surrendered to Jesus Christ as your Lord. So have actions that flow from faith. Walk in him. And then he's going to tell the Colossians what it looks like to do just that. And he's going to give them four different markers of what it looks like to do just that. And the way he writes these words and the, the, the definition behind these words matter. And we're going to step through those together. But he begins by saying, rooted, built up in him, established in the faith. That word rooted means to be firmly fixed it means to be fixed into position. And the way Paul writes this, he writes this particular participle in such a way that he is indicating 
that this action has already been completed. It's a past tense, or I'm sorry, it's a perfect participle indicating that the action's already complete, but it has rippling repercussions into today. But it's also passive in the sense that Paul is indicating that this was action done to them. This is not to be action done by them. And where Paul begins in identifying what it looks like to walk in Jesus, he begins by articulating the fact that they've already been rooted by Jesus himself. That in the past, at the moment of their salvation, when they received him, when they surrendered to him as Lord, he rooted them in himself. The rock-solid truth of salvation by grace through faith roots us in Christ as we respond in faith. And it creates for us today action that flows out of what Christ has done. The very first thing Paul says to them of what it looks like to walk in Christ, what it looks like to have actions that flow from a faith is to remember what your roots are. Remember that you've been rooted Secondly, he says, built up. To be built up is to be strengthened. To be perhaps edified, we might say. Now, the way Paul uses this verb, this participle, is that this is a present action. But also one being done to us. The command is not for you and I to find ways to be built up by ourselves. Rather, the verb that Paul uses and the way he uses it indicates that Jesus himself is building us up. Jesus himself is edifying us. Again, we begin with our understanding of truth and what Christ is doing because our actions flow from that. And to walk in the Lord is to have actions that flow from faith. As we stepped through 1 Corinthians last year, we saw those words built up, building, build, show up time and time and time again. And we thought through the fact that how that Paul uses that language of building to, to really describe in, in the metaphor of architecture what Jesus says in Matthew 28 about making disciples. And in 1 Corinthians, Paul lays out very clearly that you and I, as those who are the, have placed our faith and trust in Jesus, have been called to build up the body of Christ. But we're also gifted to build up the body of Christ. That God gifts us with what we need to obey the call he's given us. Here, Paul's just simply indicating that Jesus builds us up. Jesus strengthens us. Jesus edifies us. And he does that primarily through his spirit, his word, and his people. And as he builds us up, those three ways are the primary ways that we're strengthened, that we're edified. And we can't neglect any of them. Jesus told his disciples in the upper room, it's actually better that I go, which is a mind-blowing idea for them. 
it's actually better, guys, if I depart because I'm going to send the Helper. I'm going to send my Holy Spirit and he's going to take what I've told you and he's going to help you understand it in, in ways that, that you've never understood it before and he's going to glorify me. And one of the ways that Jesus builds us up and strengthens us is by the Holy Spirit who we know from other scriptures dwells in us. Not just together collectively, but also individually. But he builds us up through his word and we're going to look at that in far greater detail next week. Thirdly, he builds us up through his people. And we feel that right now because we're not able to be together as his people the way we were. And there's a longing to do so. And as we thought repeatedly when we were looking at 1 Corinthians, that we are both to give and to receive. As members of the body, we're to give to others. We're to acknowledge and understand and, and live out this truth that we've been gifted to give. Jesus wants to use us for his body, and he's gifted us for that. But we also need to receive. And that looks differently, and we're not able to shake hands and see each other the way we used to. We got to, maybe in more ways than ever, fight for that one. Fight to send that text. Fight to make that phone call. Fight to send that note. Pass on that card. Whatever it might be. We're not without ways to love and serve one another. But it looks a little different. And we can't wait to get back. But Jesus builds us up today, presently. He's doing something to us. Walking in him is acknowledging that. And it's, it's understanding what his spirit does. Understanding what his word does. And understanding what his people do. Thirdly, Paul says that we are established. To be established is to be sustained. It's to have a, a commitment made firm. And again, this is written in such a way that it speaks to action presently happening but action being done to us, not by us. It's the third passive participle Paul uses to describe what it looks like to walk in him. And what he intends to say here is that Jesus himself is strengthening and sustaining us. Paul uses this same word in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 8 when he talks about that that the, the truth that Jesus will sustain us to the end guiltless in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ when he comes see the the the, the truth is is that you and I aren't required to hold on to Christ he holds on to us to walk in him is to acknowledge that he himself is strengthening and sustaining us. And Paul says this is in the faith that was taught just as you were taught, just as you had received, just as you had surrendered to. And Paul begins 
outlining what it looks like to walk, to live for, to be a disciple, to follow, whatever language you want to stick in there. And he says, look, it begins with what you understand in your minds. It begins with how you understand these truths to be, and the truths are that you've been rooted in Christ, that you are built up or strengthened by Christ through His Spirit, through His Word, through His people, and you are sustained by Christ. And we're called to walk. The command given is to walk in him to live out of what is true of us and to do this begins with our identity in Christ that 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 comes and is it flows from our faith in Christ in this is the means by which we fight worry the means by which we fight doubt, the means by which we fight despair or ingratitude or jealousy or really any, any sinfulness. It's understanding what Christ has done for us, who we are in Him. And a couple days ago, I found myself in this position, in this battle. And it was a familiar fight, one I, we, we've talked about before, fight for contentment, fight against despair. And it was, it was the day after Easter Sunday, and then I just found myself like, like I, I'm prone to, I hate it, but I'm prone to do it. Just wallowing in comparison, numbers. Was our service as good as their service yesterday? Was our video as crisp and as clean as their video yesterday? Did, did, was my preaching as effective as, as their preaching? Did, did I have as many YouTube subscriptions or Facebook lights or hits? What, what, what did the analytics say? Like how, how long did people dial in and, and watch? Did we create the same type of digital splash that other churches did? And I kid you not, I, Monday I was just, I was, I was feeling a little beat up. And I went for a run Monday afternoon and I, I, Monday morning was the morning I spent a lot of time doing some of the heavy lifting in the text and just prep for today's sermon. And uh, that afternoon I, I just, I, w- I went for a run. It was beautiful outside, just putting in some miles. And I remember exactly where I was at. And I was, just, I was just struggling, just thinking through some of this stuff. And the Holy Spirit just reminded me of the very truths I had spent hours spending and studying before that same day. And the reminder was, you know what? Your call to pastor, your call to lead, your call to preach, your call to herald your, your, your strength to do so, it's not fueled by the number of subscribers to your YouTube channel. It's not fueled by the number of people who click love on your Facebook post. It's fueled by me. It's rooted in me. It's strengthened by me. It's sustained and you are sustained by me. Your, your, your strength 
to, to preach this week, your strength to love this week, your strength to lead this week is not based on whatever analytics or metrics you found yourself looking at earlier today. It comes from me. Because of what I've done, what I am doing, this walking in him, these actions that flow from faith, begin with what we understand truth to be, the truth about who we are, that we have been rooted, that we are being sustained, and we are being strengthened and built up. Fourthly, Paul gives us one more participle, and this is actually the one that we do. This is the one written about and in such a way that it indicates that you and I are doing something now and we're to abound in thanksgiving. And that word abound means to excel or to have an abundance of. And what it is that we're to excel in or have an abundance of is thanksgiving. And quite frankly, this is one of the primary ways that I fight that battle I just described for you. And the reminder that I just spoke about when I was on my run happened at about the mile and a quarter mark. I know right where I was. And I spent about the next three quarters of a mile till about the two mile mark just running through my mind what it was I was grateful for. What it was I was thankful for. Because oftentimes in my life, I find that when I find myself struggling, when I find myself either struggling with, with situations that are outside of my control or, or, or just the, the reality of, of some of the difficult things in life, when I find myself struggling with, did we have as many YouTube likes as the next guy? But I got to run to thankfulness. I got to run to gratitude. And that's what Paul here tells us to do. We're to abound in thanksgiving. And he writes this in such a way that this is you and I doing it. This is you and I abounding. There have been times in my life where I have had to sit down and just make lists of things that I'm grateful for. Because I needed to remind myself that there was plenty to be thankful for. And we're not thankful for lies. We're thankful for truth. We're not thankful for what's false. We're thankful for what's true. We do this with our kids. When we sit down at the dinner table, we ask them, hey, what was the best part of your day? It's a backdoor way of asking them, what are you thankful for? We've done it on family vacations before or perhaps when, when in an outing didn't go quite as we had planned and maybe things weren't quite as enjoyable as we had wanted or perhaps even when we're out on a, on a hike together and maybe we got some grumbling in the camp. I want you guys to find two things to be thankful for. I want you to go find three things in nature that you think are cool and let those things roll up and worship. Lack of appreciation, lack of gratitude is actually cited as one of the factors in divorce. 
Because even human relationships struggle when there's a lack of gratitude or a lack of appreciation. And there was this old, this old hymn. The chorus was entirely repetitive, but it's a good one, and it's so appropriate. Count your blessings. Name them one by one. Count your many blessings. See what God has done. Count your many blessings. Name them one by one. Count your many blessings. See what God has done. It's just a good reminder to be mindful and grateful. And this is what Paul tells us to do when we walk in him. What it looks like to walk in him is to, is, is to first understand who we are in him and what he is doing to us and then to abound in thanksgiving and to have actions that flow from faith. John Piper said it this way, unless the song of thanksgiving is being sung in our hearts, the enemy outside will deceive his way into the city of our soul and the enemy sympathizers within will make his job easy. I love that imagery. Paul tells us to abound in thanksgiving. To walk in Christ is to first understand who we are in Christ and what Christ has done in rooting us in himself and what he does in, in, in building us up and strengthening us and how he has promised to sustain us. And from that flows gratitude, flows thanksgiving. And we're to abound in thanksgiving. And I don't know what your days are like right now. I don't know if you had a Monday afternoon like I had a Monday afternoon. I don't know if you're worried about, it. did the stimulus check come? And, and you might have some real struggles because you're out of work right now. And, and those things are real difficulties. But as you think about what it looks like to follow Jesus, I would just encourage you to, to, to find a way to abound in thanksgiving. And maybe the idea of finding 15 things that you're thankful for is, is a bit overwhelming and you're just not sure because life looks that grim. But how about, how about five? How about three? How about one a day for the next week? Find a way to spend time in his word. Find a way to pour out your heart to his spirit who intercedes for us before the Father. When we don't know how to pray, the spirit stands in that gap. Find a way to be with his people. Abound in thanksgiving. Paul also says then in verse 8 that we are to watch for. We're to be on guard. We're to be alert and he writes, see to it, or be alert, watch, be on guard, that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. According to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits or principles of the world, and not according to Christ. In the beginning of verse 8 is our second command, to watch for. The first command was in verse 7, to walk in. The command here is to watch for, to be on guard. And we're to be on guard that no one takes us captive. 
That word captive, it, 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 it's, a, it's, a, it's a word that describes the plundering of booty in the victory of a war. It's defined in one theological dictionary as to be carried away from truth into the slavery of error. See, and you and I are in the midst of a constant spiritual battle for truth. And it's been this way since the beginning. And the serpent came to Eve in Genesis 3. And the question that he asked her was, did God really say? It's a question of truth. It's the same battle you and I find ourselves waging right now. And we're to watch out that we're not taken captive. By lies, by human traditions, by philosophies, by elementary or elemental principles. Because those things are not according to Christ. Those things aren't in line with you being rooted in Him and built up in Him and by Him and sustained and established by Him. Those things don't lead to abounding in thanksgiving. See, human traditions and and, and man-made principles and philosophies and quite frankly, just good old American capitalistic business says the bottom line today has got to be better than the bottom line was tomorrow or yesterday. And the bottom line tomorrow has got to be better than the bottom line today. And we measure things by nickels and noses and we measure things by profit and loss statements. And if we didn't, if we didn't have measurable goals of, of certain benchmarks in our YouTube analytics yesterday, then we didn't hit our marks. And those things can distract us from what Christ says about us and what he's doing in us what he wants to do through us. See, this affects even how you process relationships. How you think through just the way you respond to your kids. The way you respond to your husband and wife. The way you respond to your neighbor. We've been thinking about this over the last couple weeks. And it, it, it's, it's easy to live for yourself. You're not conflicted when you're living for yourself. You have a very clear goal and objective. It's to take care of me. It's an entirely different thing to love your neighbor as yourself. It's entirely different. All of a sudden now there's conflict in your heart and and in your mind. And as you process through what that looks like, See, in human tradition, in philosophy, and elemental principles, are going to say that we look after number one first. We respond this way to those situations. But to walk in Him is to understand something far different. It's to understand that we're rooted in Him. We're built up by him. We're strengthened and sustained and established in the faith by him. And we watch out for the empty deceit 
human traditions. Now, in the rest of Colossians 2, Paul's going to unpack how, how the, 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 the teaching that the, the Colossians specifically needed to be aware of was, was perhaps a teaching that was even saying that Jesus Christ wasn't fully divine. And he addresses that in chapter 1 and even leads right into that in chapter 9, saying the fullness of deity dwells in him. So there was something specific Paul was getting after with this church in particular. But there's some things that we can apply these truths to in a lot of different areas of our lives. In broad strokes, if we were going to paint with really, really big brushes, to walk in Him is to worship. To watch out for is to acknowledge that there are idols that want to compete for the attention that Jesus and only Jesus deserves. And in some ways, and those are really big stroke brushes, you can understand the entire scriptures in that regard. Worship and idolatry. And Paul says in Romans 1 that the essence of idolatry is exchanging worship that is rightfully due to the creator and giving it to the creature. So to follow human traditions, to follow philosophy and empty deceit is to give what is rightfully deserving to the Lord over where it should not be. And we're to watch out. That competition for truth, that competition for our worship, for our heart's affections, rages. Next week we'll further, un, we'll further look at what it looks like to follow the Lord and how his word creates deep roots in us and creates in us a sure and steady foundation, creates fruit that flourishes as we plant ourselves there. Because this battle for truth is a battle that has raged since the beginning. And it is a battle that will rage. But the good news is, in the midst of the fight, He holds us fast. He sustains us. He establishes us. He strengthens us. And He has already rooted us. Let's pray. God in heaven, we thank you for what it is that you have done in our lives. and What you're doing. We thank you for the good news of the gospel and what Jesus came to do on our behalf and what he has done in us and to us as we've trusted in him and as we've received him as Lord. God, would you help us to walk in him? To fight for truth. To be on guard for error and empty deceit that wants to compete for the affections of our, of our souls and for our worship. 
God, thank you that Christ sustains us. And even in the midst of the trial, even in the midst of the difficulty, even in the midst of the hard, he holds us fast. We are rooted in him. We love you, Lord, and we say thank you for loving us. And we pray this in Jesus' good name. Amen.